And so a lot of this, um, a lot of this series is going to be about understanding. And so this is something that uh, one of the things that we ha- we should and can understand that the Bible teaches very clearly, and it's part of our discipleship as, as understanding. And it's angels and demons. If I go, yeah, and your demons like, woo. Okay, so here's the deal. In order to understand, say this: angels and demons are not myths. You don't believe me. Angels and demons. Come on. Oh, you guys are... 10 o'clock is whooping your butt, man. Okay? It's, it's like not good. Not good. Say this. Angels and demons are not myths. They're not fairy tales. They're real. It's true. So in order to understand these beings, um, part of the understanding is also understanding God's nature. And so God's nature is to share and to administer His nature through His creation. God shares Himself with His creation. God is not distant from Himself. He is with His creation. And so just like we as sons and daughters, we are bearing His nature in Christ. We have His nature. We share and participate in His world. We actually get His authority. We get His love. We get His power. We get a lot of aspects of who He is. Angels were given the same thing. Um, so everything that God does, He's doing it out of these contexts. It's part of who He is. So God's not separate from His creation. He's integrated with Himself with His creation. He doesn't have to do that. He can create us like these abstract things, but He chooses to put Himself into His creation and not just put Himself into, his, into the creation by design. He actually puts the living presence of Himself within His creation. The Bible says, In Him we live and move and have, being, have our being. So everything is from Jesus, everything is for Jesus, our world is to be centered on Jesus. We had a prayer meeting uh, yesterday, which was great, which was awesome, then followed by a leadership meeting. In the leadership meeting, we are talking about, um, I was just sharing some things, and if you're part of leadership, you should get out the audio. Um, uh, but one of the verses that I was sharing, that I felt like God was showing me, I was trying to throw some verses into the, the meeting, um, Luke 2.49, where uh, Jesus was left at the temple, anybody know the story? They went up to, family goes up to Jerusalem to worship, and they're on their way home, and they're like, where is she? <laughs> you leave your daughter behind, you leave your son behind. I thought he was with you. I thought she was with you. I don't, I don't know. You had him. And so they forgot Jesus, right? So they left town without Jesus. So they're up there worshiping, and then they're on their way home, and they realize, we forgot Jesus. Where is Jesus? And so they go back to Jerusalem to find Jesus, and Jesus is where? Anybody know? He's in the temple courts, right? And he tells them, I'm I'm in my father's house. And he said, don't you know that I would be about my father's business? And I mean, what a word. And if we really understand not just who he is, but that's who we are, because Christ is 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 the divine prototype. He's the model of the new creation. In him, we are born again. Through Christ, we he emulates to us who we are. As sons and daughters, as God's sons and daughters, what we are to be, every aspect of our life is to be about our father's business. You want to know who I am? I'm about my father's business. You want to know what matters to me? I'm about my father's business. You want to know what my priorities are? I'm about my father's business. Everything else in my life subordinates to that fact. That's who really we are. In him we live, move, and have our being. Who we are as Christians, everything about us, when people go, well, who are you? You want to know who I am? This is who I am. You want to know what I'm about? This is what I'm about. You want to know what matters to me? This is what matters to me. Nothing else matters to me. 
you know, yeah, those things are important, but they subordinate themselves to what my father wants. This is what I am. This is who I am. To understand not just to understand God's nature, but to understand what God created. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And, you know, we're coming up on Christmas time, so a lot of times it's always this. The critics always want to go, well, are you trying to say that God made himself into a baby? Yes, God formed himself, God gave himself a body and incarnated the body and was born through the, through the body of a woman. Yes, divinely incar- incarnated himself into the woman, created the body in which he dwelled. And I always tell people, I'll give you one that's even freakier than that. God didn't just create himself a body, God created himself a world. God created realms. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You really want to really have your mind blown, God God created eternity itself. He lives outside of eternity. So he created eternity, and then he created not just the heaven, and he created the earth, but he created the heavens and the earth. He creates eternity, and he steps into eternity. He created the world in which he lives. The world in which he inhabits, he created for himself. He didn't need to, but he did. God is sufficient in himself, and he said, hey, let's create a world for ourselves. Yeah, no, no problem. Steps in, makes, makes eternity, then he looks around eternity, and he begins to populate eternity. And what does he populate eternity with? Heavenly beings. What are those heavenly beings called? Angels. Right? So he populates it. God creates the realm for himself, steps into it, and populates it. But he's not satisfied with that, so he says, you know what? This is all cool and everything, because angels were basically servants, Ministers and servants, that's their creation. They're witnesses, but they're ministers and servants. He creates another realm called time and space, which we call a heaven. That's We live within a heaven. The Bible says there's three heavens. One of the heavens is the atmosphere. If you've ever considered the fact that you live within an atmosphere, you live inside of a realm. Have you ever thought about that? Science understands that we live in a realm. They can quantify it. Length times width times depth, Right? Measured by time and space, because it's not a three-dimensional realm, it's actually a four-dimensional realm. Time and space, or distance, a nautical mile, is a measurement of time. And so they have to equate time into length times depth times width. And then they can quantify this realm, but they cannot replicate it, nor can they understand it. So we, in other words, science can't recreate the heavens. Science can't understand where the heavens came from. Their, their big answer is, it came from nothing. Okay, genius. You know, I always tell people, I wish my bank account was like that. You know, <laughs> just something appeared there. Now! You know, it's like, it doesn't work like that. So we can quantify, we can quantify the, or this realm that we live in, but we cannot replicate it. You are created inside of a realm. So God creates the realm of time and space. Eternity doesn't have time attached to it. This world has time attached to it. He creates the heavens and the earth. And in the earth, he creates the light around it, calls the evening in the morning, uh, calls it the, the evening in the morning the first day. So he, he creates time itself. God creates eternity. He lives beyond eternity. What's that look like? I have no idea. But it's true. This is how beyond our understanding God is. What we know about him is only what he chooses to reveal himself as or to us. And most of the time, God's not hiding anything from us. He'll reveal more of his nature to us through intimacy. But most of the time, even through intimacy, there's only so much he can reveal to us because we're limited beings. And so our understanding is limited. And he will speak to us in terms that we can associate with or in terms that we can understand. So God creates this realm called time and space. And what does he do? Just like eternity, he populated it. He populates this world, right? 
And who does he create? Adam and Eve. But God doesn't create a multitude of beings in this world. He creates a son and a daughter. And he tells them to have a family. Because the whole context of God's relationship with man was family. This relationship with the angels is servitude. He is the Elohim. To us, he is the Yahweh. He is the becoming one. He is the Abba. He is the Father. Angels don't call him Abba. Angels don't call him Yahweh. They don't. They don't use that language. They never reference that language. There's no inference of that ever in the scripture. When they use the word God, it's always Elohim, the supreme God, the most high God, the judge, the ruler of all, the absolute like heavyweight champion of all worlds. That's who they refer to him as. And so into this context, he creates a son and a daughter. He creates Adam and Eve. They're his family. And he tells them to what? Replicate yourselves in the earth. Replicate not just yourselves in the earth. Replicate the culture that I create in the earth. So God in the beginning creates two worlds. He creates eternity and he creates time and space. But the Bible tells us that there's third heavens. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, time and space and eternity were intermingling. They mixed. There was, they walked, God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. God, the, Adam could see the Lord. The Lord was with, was with Adam. Angels appeared in the garden, very physically. Eve, when she saw the angelic being, she didn't freak out. Anybody ever read the story? She didn't go, oh my gosh, what are you? I've never seen anything like you. She invoked a conversation. It wasn't just a serpent, it was a hanafesh. It was an angelic being with serpent-like form. That's what the Hebrew says, a ha-nefesh. The word nefesh was written, they, they drew the understanding of a serpent from it, but that's not the antiquity of it. The antiquity of what that serpent was is a ha-nefesh. It was an angel with a serpentine body. There's hieroglyphs of this in, in different cultures. An angel with a serpent body. You know, comes to her, doesn't look like anything different. She's seen angels all day long. You know, here comes one. No, he's a little different, but she starts talking to him. Right? Get the picture? So wasn't it, so there was they were created where these two worlds were interacting. Time and space and eternity were interacting. When Adam fell, the union between the two worlds was broken. And in that breaking, a third heaven was created. So there's three heavens. There's the realm of eternity, there's the second heaven, which is called the intermediate heaven. The two heavens are invisible. The third heaven, or the first heaven, which we would know as the first heaven, is the atmosphere. That's the world that we live in. We live within a heaven, the heavenly realm, you know, the, the, the realm of physical time and space, the universe as a whole is a heaven. That's why the atheists, when they got, finally got into orbit, they're like, God's not here. God's not here. I'm like, duh. He's not in that heaven, genius. They thought when they got up into the atmosphere... And that was, that was a big thing. I don't know if you all remember that, but there was a big thing. In, like, if you ever read anything about the space program, you know, we're going to find God. They were mocking, of course, when they went up there. There's no God here. Sorry. Yeah, because you don't know your scripture. You're ignorant of the word of God and his power, oh Sadducee. <laughs> they, didn't know what they, they didn't know what they were talking about. They got up there and there's nothing there. Of course there's nothing there because it's the physical atmosphere, dummy. That's what? You find dust? Yeah, there's dust, there's planets, there's stuff like that, because it's time and space. It's a physical atmosphere. But when that happened, the separation happened, and a second heaven was formed because of the separation between the two worlds. The intermediate heaven is the one in the Bible that's, that's defined, but it's not clearly understood. Eternity is, is talked about. Time and space is talked about. But the second heaven was created when Adam fell. It severed the two, creating a gap between the two worlds. The two worlds no longer are able to interact. The heavens closed. 
Jesus rent the heavens. I don't know if you knew that. When he was baptized, what did that mean? He opened up the heavens. He united the two worlds. The angels ascended and descended upon the Son of Man because the two worlds were now open. Powerful stuff. He unified the two worlds. Sons and daughters, we have access to two worlds. Nobody else has access to two worlds. We do. We do. Man was always created to be the arbiter between two worlds. They stand, he was created, he and she were created to stand between two worlds. They were the arbiters between two worlds. That's why Jesus says, on earth as it is in heaven. Why is he telling us this? This is to be poetic. On earth as it is in heaven. And we just, I mean, I watch pastors talk about this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Do you even know what that means? Do you even have a clue what that means? Jesus is telling us that because it's a reestablishment of man's position between the two worlds. We stand between two worlds. We pull from heaven and release upon the earth. That's who we are. The devil wants to lie to you. He wants to suppress that. He wants to keep that from you. He wants to, and he he uses churches to propagate it. But the Bible doesn't hide it. The Bible doesn't hide it. Man was created to be between two worlds. It's not this mythical, poetic prayer. It's a restoration of the original creation. It's the renewal of a greater creation and a repositioning of the original intent. That's what he's doing. The two worlds are united through Christ. The unity of the two worlds are there. There's an interaction, an interplay over the life of the believer between the two worlds. Between the gap. There are angels that are created. Say this. Angels are created. created. That's right. Say this. Jesus... Is not an angel. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't care what the Jehovah Witnesses told you. Jesus is not an angel. He's not. JWs say Jesus isn't the Son of God. They say that he's an angel. Well, who told you that? I tell you, read the book of Hebrews. The entire book of Hebrews is all talking about how Jesus is not an angel. The whole book, practically. At least the first three chapters is saying Jesus is not an angel. Your throne, O God, is established forever. To which of the angels did he say? To which of the angels did he say? What is he doing? He's arguing to a church. He's arguing to believers that believe that Jesus was an angel. And he's saying, who told you that? Read your Bible. (laughs) This is what the scripture says. Jesus is not an angel. (laughs) They're created. Say this. They have classifications and they have order. They have intelligence. They have free will. There are classifications of angels within the realm. So God creates angels. Not all angels are the same. God creates unity among unity. Uniqueness among uniqueness. In the first group that he creates, he creates within a not particular order. But the group that he creates is called, one group is called a cherubim. We know them. We think they're little baby angels. Oh, look at that little cute little cherub on the wall. Such a cute little cherub. We get t-shirts with little baby angels on it. It's all cute. (laughs) Novelty. The only problem is is the cherubim don't look like that. (laughs) If you're in the Old Testament and you're about to meet an angel, you better have brown pants on. That's all i got to say. You better get your brown trousers on. Because everybody that met an angel freaked out. They were not little babies floating around. Little cupids shooting arrows at you. You know, hearts, little heart floating around. They were powerful, and they were undone when they met. They're subatomic beings. They're beings beneath and beyond our realm, above and beyond our realm. When they come, they exude power. They create atmospheres. 
It's like the Spirit of God. It creates an atmosphere. Angels create atmospheres. Devils create atmospheres. Yeah. Cherubims are servant-oriented ministries. So the cherubim were created, and their whole role is servant-oriented. That's the role of the cherubs. The cherubs were serving before the Lord, and they are the administrators upon the earth. The angelic beings that administrate upon the earth are the cherubim. How do we know this? Well, every, every reference in the Bible that references to angels among men is always in the context of the cherub. Okay, So we know that these are the cherubs. They're the ones who minister to the Lord, from the Lord, and unto us. God creates angels. Say this, angels were created before man. So when God creates the angels, He creates them specifically for specific purposes. They're an army. They're masses. He loves them. He interacts with them. But they're different from us. We have a family relationship with them. They do not. They are created in a specific design, in a specific order. Man, Bible says man was created lower than the angels. What does that mean? It means that we were not created with the same power. We were not created complete. Man can grow. Angels cannot. So when God creates an angel, the angel is as he is. He's no different. Anybody know who Michael is? What's Michael? Michael's a warrior. You know what that means? That's all he does. He doesn't do anything else. He's not cooking pancakes at the men's breakfast. That's not Michael. He's on the grindstone, sharpening the sword. He makes war. It's what he does. He knows nothing else. Anybody know who Gabriel? There's three angels mentioned in the Bible by name. Gabriel is a what? Messenger. That's all he does. Gabriel's only the messenger. He takes the message. He's, he's in the dispatch corps. He's in the communication out regiment. That's what he does. He gets the communication. He delivers the message. He hears the message. He delivers the message. He, he's, the, he's the leader of the communications network. He's an archangel as well. Michael's an archangel. Gabriel's an archangel. Lucifer was an archangel. Three, arch, three angels, three archangels. Lucifer fell with a third. So pro, the division of the angelic army, the angelic host, was divided into threes. And within those hosts, there are different compartments, different divisions, different units. It's an organized network. So an angel that was created as it is, an angel of hope, that's all the angel does is administrate hope. That's it. An angel of mercy, all the angel does is administrate mercy. That's all it does. That's its job. That's its complete created personhood. That's what it does. That's how it is. Man, on the other hand, was created different. We're created lower than the angels. We are created as a unique design experience. God gives us things, and he likes to watch us. He he wants to see how we form. He wants to see what we do with it. Angels are intelligent, but they're not creative. They have an intellect, but they do not create anything. Angels aren't creating anything. They're not. Can you create? That's right. Because you're a son and a daughter like your father. Your father's a creator. You're creator. We bear the nature of our father. We bear the nature of our family lineage in him. That's who we are. So man was created to be creative. Man was created lower, but mankind can ascend. Mankind can rise. Mankind can flourish. God knows exactly what Michael is. He knows. He knows Michael's the problem solver. <laughs> Got a problem with the prayer getting through? Call Michael. Problem solved. In the book of Daniel, Daniel's praying, he's interceding. He's calling out to the Lord for an answer. 
He's asking God for, it's crazy if you read that story, what actually happened at the end. But like he's praying and he's asking the Lord for an answer. And it took 21 days for the prayer to get through. Some of you, you pray and the enemy resists the heavenlies. And the Bible says that Gabriel, when he went to Daniel, he said, Daniel, when you prayed, the answer was immediately released. But it took me 21 days to fight through the prince of Persia. Was he fighting the literal prince of Persia? He was fighting the demonic overseer that stands over the nation of Persia. The, the people of Israel were in Persia. God sending the message from Gabriel, from heaven, to, to uh, uh, Daniel in Persia. The enemy knows he sees the message coming and he makes war against Gabriel. Gabriel can't get through. So what does Gabriel say? I went back and got Michael. And everybody say, problem solved. That's right. He went back and got the dude that he's like, bring it. Like, what? Probably eating like some, eating a Twinkie or something. Like, what? You got a problem, man? You want, you want me to do something about that? What's going on? Oh, yeah. Well, man, we wrap that up by noon. Let's take that on. Let's do that. I mean, it's like, that's like what he lives for. I mean, he's like, let's do it. Wasn't any hesitation. Michael goes and clears out the thing, goes, go, go deliver your message. Let me know when you're coming back. I'm just going to make sure none of these guys are going to do anything. You know, he cleared the passageway. I always think, I think Gabriel's like going, I'm a warrior too. I can do this. I'm going to show you. And then he goes down there and gets his butt kicked. He goes, I can't do it. <laughs> Michael, you got to help me, man. <laughs> Michael's probably not the guy to deliver a message either. He's probably too, he's probably really rough. Deliver the message. Gabriel's kind of like, look, here's how it is. Gabriel kind of probably delivers it in a more of a neutral tone. Michael just tells you what time it is. Look, here's your problem. Okay? You know, Michael's not the most kindest, compassionate person in the world. So you have the cherubim. The cherubim are the ministering angels from heaven to us. They minister before the Lord. They're designed with that in a unique nature in and of themselves. The second category is the seraphim. Say it with me, seraphim. Right. These are angels that are mentioned in the book of Isaiah. They're also referenced in the book of uh, uh, Revelation. And seraph means flaming ones, burning ones. Right? We're also called burning ones, which is interesting. And they stand in the presence of the Lord continually. That's all they do. The cherubs kind of come in and out. They have different jobs and different assignments, but the seraphs are before the Lord always. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. When Isaiah encountered the Lord, he saw the Lord. He said, I'm undone. Huh? Right? I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. The Lord's saying, speak for me. Isaiah's like, uh got the wrong guy, you know, and so the Bible says that the seraph, the seraph that was around the throne, the flaming angel from around the throne took the coal, touched his lips, and made him clean, so these are angels that minister around the Lord continually, they're six, they're, they have six wings, they're a little different, they're flaming ones, then we have uh, a third group, anybody read this one, this is sci-fi, this is sci-fi right here, man, uh, living, living creatures, anybody ever heard of the living creatures? Yeah, right? That's like freaky, man. What is that? And again, it's like God creates things and he, he reveals things to us and gives us glimmers. We don't fully, we understand what they are and who they are. We don't understand the why of them. But their, their nature, they're living creatures. They have the face of a man, the face of an ox, the face of a, a, a lion, and the face of an eagle. And what they represent, they are what Ezekiel saw them beneath the throne. A wheel within a wheel with living creatures moving within the wheel. 
unified eternal eternity is the wheel. The, the, the living creatures were representative of the Lord's nature beneath his throne. He is seated upon who he is. And the eagle is the liverer. The man, he represents us. He's the human uh, representation. He's also the gift bearer, the water pourer. So he's, so the, he's the eagle. He's the, re, he's the human representative. God is man. God is uh, lion. God is king. God is ox. God is servant. So it's representation, representative of his nature. The wheels were moving within themselves, which tells us that God's nature moves within itself. The servant is a king. The man is a deliverer. The deliverer is a king. You, you, get, the, you get the understanding? His nature interplays with itself. It's a, it's a manifestation or representation of his nature. These angels sit before him in a representation of his nature. That's what they do. That's about all we know. <laughs> we don't know anymore. We know a lot about the cherubs. We know a lot about the seraphs. But we don't know a lot about the living creatures. We know even less about this group, the watchers. Anybody ever heard of the watchers? Hey, what do they do? I don't know. What's their name? They watch. Stand around watching. They're reporting. You know, their observation. In the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar was boasting of himself. And an angel appeared to him and said, watch what you say. The watchers are watching referencing this group of angels that were reporting. Is God omnipresent? Yes. Is God all-knowing? Yes. God's all-knowing. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He knows everything. He is everywhere. Yet, he chooses to delegate. Did God not know that Nebuchadnezzar was boasting? Of course he knew Nebuchadnezzar was boasting. But he still delegated the authority to the angels, and the angels reported back to him. The angels got a chance to prove faithfulness. The angels got a chance to participate in the nature of God, even though God didn't need any help. He chose to let himself be helped. Who, who's the, is this not wonderful? I mean, God wants to share with you. He wants to partner with you. He wants to live through you. He wants to explore through you. He wants you to explore with him. It's like, it's like you're, we're not observers of this faith, Christian. We're participants. The angels show us that aspect of them, but it's also, it's also relative to how he relates to us. You think he needs us? He doesn't need us. He chooses us. He wants to. Here's a better one. He doesn't give a gift based on you. Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. It's not, say it with me, this is going to offend some of you. This is going to make some of you uncomfortable, and this is going to get others excited. So I'm going for the excited group. That's where I'm going. Right? Say it. It's not about, it's not about oh, here we go, my personal, my personal holiness. Oh, no. It has nothing to do with your personal holiness. Nothing. When you come to Christ, the barrier to the relationship is removed. There no longer is a barrier. That is the very thing that he wanted from the beginning. A, me a method. Now, what does your personal holiness conflict with? Well, first of all, there's no holiness without the Holy Spirit. So good luck. You come from holiness traditions and you think you can keep the holiness by not smoking, drinking, or chewing, or hanging out with those that are doing and just doing all these external controls on yourself. I say, I have a good word for you and it's called good luck. You're not going to make it. You can't. It's Galatians. Foolish Galatians. You think you can perform in the flesh what was begun in the spirit? You think you can maintain this in the flesh? You can't. The only way this is even possible is by living through the Spirit. That's the only way that's possible. In the Holy Spirit, living from that place. There's no holiness without the Holy Spirit. Man in and of himself is not holy. Good luck. We're evil. We're wicked. We're selfish. We're greedy. We're hurtful. We're vengeful. Even Christians. Yep, even Christians. Born again and greedy little, greedy little jimmies running around. 
hurtful, vengeful, spiteful, firing off emails, text messages, voicemails. Oh, you pull a knife, I'm pulling a gun. Oh, yeah? <laughs> you kick me, I'm kicking the dog. That's what I'm doing. You know I mean? It's like we're, we're always trying to get an edge up. Or we're, 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 that's what we are. But when we're in the spirit, we're different people. This is, this, is, this is the contrast we have to be aware of with ourselves. With him, without him. But God, in his relationship with us, doesn't see us as his, who we were. We can still live as who we were, but he doesn't relate to us as we were. We relate to ourselves as we were, and then we can relate to ourselves as we are, which means we can be in the spirit, or we can be in the flesh. Yeah? But God, when he relates to you, is it never relating to his sons and daughters in the flesh. Because that person is removed from him. And the barrier of the relationship is removed. There is nothing but unity. That's why it doesn't matter. You can be drunk out of your mind and sinning and stealing the neighbor's cat and all this crazy stuff and you can go, Holy Spirit, come. And the Holy Spirit comes. Every time. Because it's not about your personal holiness. It's not. That's not. Your decisions, your actions, your unwillingness to yield or obey the Lord affects your destiny, but it does not affect the relationship. Well, David prayed, Pastor, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Old Testament economy, visitation economy. We have Holy Spirit by habitation. He's inhabiting us. In the Old Testament, he came and went, came and went, came and went. Why? The blood had not been spilled. The blood has been shed. The resurrection has taken place. The Spirit of God is given to us by habitation. He's not going anywhere. You can't get rid of him. You can put him on the back porch, but he's not leaving the property line. You can silence him, but he's not going anywhere. You can deny him, but he's not going anywhere. He will never leave you. Do you think he means that? When he says, I will never leave you, or... That's right. Do you think he means that? Or is he an Indian? Is he, is he somebody who lies? You, you got one something about the Lord. What he says, he, 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 just, he means it. When he says it, I mean, he means it. He's, he's like, he's so mind-boggling to me. Well, mind-boggles me more. Like, when I watched him do things with people, and even my own self, is it like he, he's like, he literally believes what you tell him. He believes you. 100%. Whether you mean it or not, he takes you at your word. Every time. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's like beyond belief, beyond, beyond understanding. So the watchers are watching. This is what he tells Daniel. There's another classification that maybe angels, maybe they're not. Some say yes, some say no. You can make an argument for both the 24 elders. In the book of Revelation, the 4 and 20 elders, which is a mirror of the government of heaven. Another story. But um, some say they're angels. Some say they're the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. Well, the Bible doesn't say it's the 12 tribes of Israel, and it doesn't say it's the 12 apostles. The Bible doesn't say it's angels either. The Bible shrouds these beings, whoever they may be, it shrouds them. It just tells us that they're there. So we don't really know who they are, but they might possibly be a ruling class of angels. They may. They may. I mean, you can literally make an argument for either side, but you cannot definitively say who they are. So just, you know, if you ever hear somebody say, this is who the 24 elders are, nobody knows. Nobody knows. That's their, that's their opinion. And so you have to understand that it can, go, it can sway between both. It can, be, can it be the 12 tribes of Israel, a representative of the 12 tribes of Israel? Maybe. With the 12 apostles? Maybe. Can it be 24 angel, angelic angels? Yes, maybe. 
maybe. In my mind, the more the likelihood is more that it's, a, it's, it's an eternal government. So in my mind, from what I read and understand the scripture, say this, this is the pastor's opinion. Say it with me, come on. I try to tell you when I'm giving you opinion. This is the pastor's opinion. That's right. In my opinion, it's angelic. Just because of the structure. It's, it's, it's angelic. There, there's no real, you, you can see the human interactions within heaven. And when there's a human interaction from the heavenly realm, when the Bible, if the Bible reveals the human interaction, it doesn't really reveal that interaction with the, with, you know, and it doesn't reveal the interaction with the angels very clearly, you know. So human interaction almost always in the heavenly realm is, is revealed. When you see humans interacting in the heavenly realm with Jesus or with the, with the Father, it's, it's very open. So anyway, that's another thing. So the eight say this way, angels are not to be worshipped. But there's one angel that did want to be worshipped. Anybody know his name? That's right. Anybody know what Lucifer means? Light bearer. Light bearer. Lucent, light bearer. He carries light. When angels fell, their natures became inverted. So Lucifer was the light bearer. Does he bear light now? What does he bear? That's right. They became the opposite of what they were. See, he was siloed. His role was to bring forth light. He was a worshiping angel. Yes, that's true. We can see that in Ezekiel. He was a lot of things, but his name was his nature. He was to bring forth light. Maybe the light of worship. Who knows? It's another thing. That's what the ancients used to do. Cool story. When they would go through towns and there would be a lot of oppression. I always wanted to do this. Maybe sometime. I don't know. I'm digressing, but I'm going to come back to this real quick. Is that they would carry a light through the town. The Christians would carry a light through the town. They would bear light. And the light was to lead the people to worship. And so there was a light bearer that went through the town. And the people would see the light bearer. And they would follow the light bearer to worship. That's probably a pretty good indication of what Lucifer was. He was because he was a worshiping angel. And he was a light bearer that led the people to worship. Or led the angels to worship. Or led the adoration of heaven. Conjecture, but it's probably pretty close. Angel named Lucifer, angel named Gabriel, angel named back up one, if you would. Back up one. I'm just going to give you this reference. You can read it. I'm not going to read it all. I get ambitious and I think I can read all these verses, but I, I can't. So I'll reference it for you Ezekiel 28, talking about Lucifer. He was in Eden, the Garden of God. It talks about how he was made, what he did, how, what, what ended up happening, why he fell. His heart was lifted up, mainly because he wanted to be worshipped. So that's Ezekiel 28. Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 14, too. You can flip it, flip it one more. Go, you can go forward one. So Lucifer wanted to be worshipped. This is what he wanted. He wanted to be, he wanted to be the man. He falls. His nature becomes inverted. With him, he takes the third of the angels with him. More than likely, the third of the angels that he oversaw. So there's three archangels, the mass delivered them. So you have the mass army of angels divided into three divisions. Within each division is division, 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 division. So this, this division, big division, long division, short division. Like, dude, I don't do math on the weekends. What are we talking about here? So long division made into short division. All these, all these groups were, were divided. Lucifer oversaw a mass third of angelic beings. When he fell, it is highly likely that that third is the one that followed him. He influenced them. The Bible says he merchandised his rebellion. In other words, he got, started selling people on the that this was a good idea. And what does he do to you? He tries to merchandise his ideas to you. 
This is a good idea. He's trying to sell you on it. It's <laughs> not a good idea. So he falls. He led the rebellion. The angels became demons. Their spirits became inverted. Angels of hope became only angels of hopelessness. Angels of light became angels of death. Their natures became inverted. Lucifer oversees this fallen mass army of angelic beings. That's, that's where the demons all came from. They're fallen angels. They're nothing other than fallen angels. They are inferior to us in the power of the Spirit. It's important for you to know that. Christians get all freaked out about devils. That's the very thing he wants you to get freaked out about. You get freaked out about devils. Oh my gosh, the devil! And we, we just act like, like, I mean, Halloween, I mean, we, we hole up in our, in our closets at Halloween. I'm like, like, it's the devil's day. I'm like, who told you that? I don't give him, in, I don't give him a minute. I don't give him an hour. Why are you giving him, that's the devil's day. I never go anywhere on the devil's day. I stay in deep intercession in prayer in my prayer closet on the devil's day. Why? The Bible says every day is under the Lord. Why do you want to yield one day of anything to that thing? To a fallen being that's beneath your feet. Why would you yield anything for him? Paul says we do not give for one moment. We will yield him no ground. Not one moment, not one minute, not one millisecond, not one micron. We give him nothing. And we take from him everything. Like the gladiators that we are. The 300 that we are. See, that sounds like a movie. That comes from a movie, guys. Some of you know what I'm going to All the guys in the room are like, yeah, that's like 300, man. I was like, so they're inverted. What do they do? The spirits create atmospheres. It's important to know. Spirits create atmospheres. So when you're coming to church and you're in an atmosphere, the Holy Spirit's here, and he's creating an atmosphere. There's an atmosphere here. Glory of God is here. The rest of God is here. The provision of God is here. The hope of God is here. Everything begins to manifest because the Spirit of God is manifesting around you. He's, he's manifesting through you, and the atmosphere is created because this presence of the Lord. And into that, God is this, the, the Holy Spirit comes with angels. He, he's ministering too. But he's ministering through the angel. So the angel of hope, we are around you, ministering hope to you. The Holy Spirit is ministering through the angel of hope to you. Why? Because he likes to delegate. Why do we lay hands on anybody? Why? You don't mean that Jesus can't lay hands or do something? He does it because he wants to minister through you. When you lay hands on somebody, are you doing anything? But the power of God is going through you. That's why we release the anointing. The word of God is going through you. We say as he says, we speak as he speaks, we do as he says, and we release the power. The Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants without us, but he chooses to do it with us. He does the same thing through the angels. He ministers through them. And they create atmospheres. There's contention in your home. Could it be a spirit? I don't know. Are you guys about to kill each other? Might want to check that. There's a lot of things that we tolerate as simple nothingness when they're actually atmospheres. They're demonic atmospheres. There's a gift of the spirit called the, desire, called the discerning of spirits, right? It's supposed to be available to all believers. We're supposed to be smart enough and not be Christian dumb. We're just, we're Christian dumb. I'm telling you, we're like, we're like, we... We should be the most, the greatest juggernaut the world has ever seen. The American church is endowed with so much knowledge, and we have the full, we have more awareness of everything than we've ever had, and we are the lamest church probably in the in, in modern history. We're pathetic. 
The early church didn't have anywhere near what we have. And they changed the world in a generation. In a generation, they reached their known world with the gospel. We have so much and we're like lame. We're so dumb. The church's ideology has become stupid. The devil's healing and God's giving sickness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You think I'm joking. Dude, I could tell you churches that teach what I'm teaching. That tell you that. That will tell you that. Well, that was God's will for her to have that sickness, Kevin. It was God's will. That healing is of the devil. The devil interfered with God's will in her life. Oh, okay, so let me get this straight. Let's just think about what we're saying. The devil is now in the healing business? Is it what we're saying? He just put a shingle out? Lucifer, PHPD, or PhD, you know, is that what he just did? Satan, you know? <laughs> Holy Cross, it's now Lucifer's star or whatever. That's the new hospital. The devil's in the healing business and God's the one doing the afflicting. Who told you that? Our theology is so stupid. We're so upside down. The enemy uses these lies against us, suppresses us, and completely neuters the church's power. Completely. And we like, sucking our thumb, following right down the line, following idiotic, stupid, moronic teaching that we just fall in line with. We fall in line with this nonsense. Who told you Jesus isn't healing? Who told you this oppression is of the devil, or is not of the devil? Well, God's trying to teach you something. We, we have no consciousness of Satan whatsoever. Read your New Testament. Read, your, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read them. Swing a cat and you're hitting the devil. Within three chapters of every, four, every gospel, the devil is there. Demon here, demon there, demon here, demon here. It's everywhere. With the church of the modern world, it's like Satan just packed up and left. And, he, and we buy into his lies wholesale. Wholesale. You open up the door, invite him on in, give him Doritos, give him a Twinkie. He wrecks your house, destroys everything around you, and you blame God for it. And the church comes around you and goes, yep, that's the Lord. Well, we don't understand the mysteries of God. God's ways are mysterious. Everybody say this with me. No, they are not. They're not. He can be known. He will be known, and he wants to be known. His lays are only mysterious to the dumb who won't receive it. Or they're only mysterious to the dumb who refuse to shift their paradigm. We have blocks and lines in our thinking, and God confronts us with something that's outside of our context or outside of our paradigm, and we refuse to see it. And we remain the same. Our thinking is the biggest barrier. He shows you. Well, Dr. So-and-so, Pastor So-and-so, Reverend you know, So-and-so said that healing's not of God, but that person got healed. That healing must be of the devil. Somebody was just telling me this. Their, their friend is a student at a major theological university in America, in the north, and they were, uh, she said she was telling them about a bunch of healings that were going on, and their friend, who's a theology student, was saying those healings are of the devil. This is just this week. I heard somebody tell me this that week. I go, yeah, that's what we teach. Yeah, that's not what we teach, but that's what the, the church teaches stupidity like, like such, like that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and the whole time, we are, we are called to openly destroy the works of the devil. We're called to cast out demons, and we build camps with them. We build, we build universities with them. We build churches with devils. Oh, we preach salvation, and we preach, you know, how to live a good life. 
But we don't preach kingdom and we don't preach power. And that is the problem. That is the spirit of antichrist. The devil is not anti-Jesus. Let's just rattle some cages. My name's Kevin and I'm your friend. Say it with me. Pastor Kevin is my friend. Okay? So I want you to say this. The devil is not anti-Jesus. He's anti-Christ. That is a major difference between who he is. He's not against Jesus. He's against the anointing. Christ means anointing. What does he oppose? He opposes the anointing. The inbreaking power of God that changes everything. That's what he opposes. The transformational power of God, the anointing of God that completely wrecks and devastates and manifests the reality of what was done to him in the spirit. He opposes that with everything he's got. And he uses churches to reinforce that theology. Churches can teach the truth about salvation, but they deny the power. In the last days, men will be what? Lovers of themselves, professing godliness. In other words, professing and teaching right things, but denying what? What are they denying? The last day church denies what? Come on. The last day church denies what? Power. They're not denying Jesus. They profess godliness. They're professing the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but they're denying power. We think that the last day church is a heretical church teaching not teaching Jesus. The Bible isn't saying that they're not teaching Jesus. They're professing godliness, but denying power. Just a thought. (laughs) Just a thought. We're not going to be a last day's church, man. We're a bride. We're kingdom. Ain't no denial of power out here. We're going to find it. We're going to activate it. We're going to rev the generators. We're going to wire the place and you for sound. We're going to wire you for sound. We're going to make you electric. You're going to be on fire. You're going to be burning at will. Flame on. Wow. Yeah, right? <laughs> they have authority over those who are not under Jesus. This is important to know. They're atmospheric beings. They're, they're, they're transatomic beings. They're beyond the realm of all that is created in the time and space. They operate from another dimension, from another realm. That's why their power interacts with ours. That's why prayer, is, prayer racks them. Prayer destroys them. Prayer goes into their world and exercises a dominion. It's just like it's like a wrecking ball. It's not even a wrecking ball. It's like a like a mass just demo crew going through their world. They have no answer to prayer. They have no answer to tongues. That's why praying in tongues all the time. The Bible says you pray the perfect will of God. You want to pray the perfect will of God? Pray in tongues. Say, I don't know what I'm praying. I don't know what you're praying either, but Jesus knows what you're praying. The Holy Spirit knows what you're praying. And according to the scripture, you're praying the perfect will of God. Perfect will of God for what? For the moment that you're in. Whatever it may be. Perfect will of God may be a praise and adoration through the tongues. Maybe a declaration. You don't know what you're saying. But he, he's not confused. You're not speaking gibberish to him. Just a thought. He has no answer for that. We have authority. They have authority over all those who are not under Jesus. All those who are not under Christ are under the devil's authority. Period. End. Stop. There's, there's no in between. Not everybody's saved. You're either in Christ or you're under the devil. Not, you're not in neutral ground. There, there's, no, there's, no, there's, no, there's no differentiation. There's no middle place to fall. You're in Christ and you belong to him, born of the last Adam, or you're in the devil, born of the first Adam. 
All descendants of the first Adam are claimed and owned by Lucifer. Mark it down. You must be born again, not of the blood of the earth, but of the blood of heaven. You must receive Jesus, be translated out of darkness and into light, and now you are no longer under the authority of the devil. But if you don't know Jesus, you're under the authority of the devil. People go, I don't believe that. And I'm like, yeah, when you pass through the veil of time and space, you're going to realize that you are under the authority of the devil. Because the Spirit of God isn't going to claim you. Gandhi's not going to claim you. Buddha's not going to claim you. Lucifer's going to claim you. Well, I want L. Ron Hubbard and Tom Cruise to claim me. Nobody's claiming you. The earth itself isn't claiming you. Your spirit is eternal. Your body will go to the earth, but your spirit will return. Your spirit will rise up, and it will be as you are. You will be in Christ, or you will be of Lucifer, and Lucifer's going to claim you if you don't know Jesus. If you know Christ, the Holy Spirit's going to claim you. You're going to pass from death to life. There will be no sting in death. You're going to, through the veil, you'll be like, whoa. You're going to be like, I should have did this sooner. You know? It's just the way it is. They operate through disobedience. So here's the question. Disobedience, say it with me. Disobedience is not just to those who don't receive Jesus. You want to know why your finances are wrecked, Christian? Could it be that you have not submitted your finance to Christ? Could it be that you're disobedient in the realm of your finances and the devil claims a right of disobedience over you and enters it whenever he wants? Just a thought. Could could it be that your time is consumed and it feels like everything that you do is just meaningless and empty and frivolous and it's just a vacuum of emptiness? Could it be that your time is not submitted to Jesus? That you're disobedient with your time and the devil enters it at will and makes it vain? Could it be? Because he operates in disobedience. That's where he's operating. The areas of your life that you have not fully yielded to Jesus is what he claims. He claims it. And he walks in like he's at a picnic popping grapes in his mouth, trying to figure out what he wants to do, when he wants to do it. He can do it anytime he wants because he's got the authority. His authority is in your disobedience as a believer, not your salvation. Big difference. So I'm always broke. God doesn't want me broke. You know, we bring the devil in. We make him a picnic. We do a whole big shebang for him, backyard barbecue, Lucifer and the fallen beings. You know, we're out there partying with him in our disobedience. And he wrecks your house, destroys everything, and then you go back in and cry and blame God. You're blaming the Lord for the wrong reasons. You opened that door, he came in. You know, it's like I told first service, I said, the Lord looks at most of us and goes, would you help me help you? I mean, I really want to financially bless you, but I've called you to tithe. Oh, no, and you can't tithe. I know it's going to get quiet. I know, but that's okay. My name is Kevin, and I'm your friend. And I tell you this because you need to know why he's train wrecking you. Don't you dare say, Bible says this, that's fine. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. Just don't expect to receive anything from the Lord. There is an inheritance attached to obedience, Christian. And when it says you will not receive anything, it means you won't even have access to your inheritance. That you, you won't. Most Christians can't come to church. They've got, they got somewhere else to go, someplace else to be. got other things. You can't even yield your time to Him. Your time is yours, and he, Jesus is at your convenience. He, he is at your will. You are not at His. And you wonder why your life is meaningless, empty, and vain? You wonder why it's fruitless and frivolity all the time? Because your life is nothing but about yourself. 
He's at your pleasure. You are not at his. And the devil goes, I'll take it. I'll steal that time. I'll rob that time. I'll destroy that time. I'll kill the hope. I'll kill the desire. I'll do whatever I want. Steal, kill, and destroy. I'll ravage their finances. I'll ravage their marriage. I'll ravage their children. I'll ravage it all. And then we go, oh, God's doing this for me. Let me explain something to you. No, he's not. You have kingdom power and kingdom authority, but it means nothing unless you're obedient. He works in disobedience. Your body belongs to the Lord. Now this is going to get quiet again. It's going to get real quiet in here. Stay with me. It's going to hurt. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It means it belongs to the Holy Spirit. He owns it. Say this. My life is not my own. I was bought with a price. And so the Bible says, your life no longer belongs to you. Which means your decisions must subordinate themselves to the decisions and the commands that are over your life. Oh, I don't want to do that. Okay. Then let that person believe that they will receive nothing from the Lord. God's like, okay with it. That's okay. But there's no blessing attached to that decision. Doesn't mean you're not saved. Doesn't mean you're not loved. Say it. My decisions against the Lord cause and effect. That effect doesn't mean I'm not saved. And doesn't mean I'm not loved. He still loves you. He wants everything for you. Well, if God wanted it for me, why doesn't he give it to you? Because you keep choosing against him. And the enemy claims the right and, and brings devouring power over you. And you keep blaming God and you keep repeating the cycle because you're not aware of what you're doing. You are in absolute ignorance. By your own foolishness, you bring destruction, yet your heart rages against the Lord. That's Proverbs. By man's own decisions, own choices, own disobedience, destruction comes, but his heart rages against God. No context. If you realize that obedience to the Lord is honor, first of all, our motive should always be honor. I don't obey the Lord because, I, because he forces me. I obey him because I honor him. That's number one. That, that trumps everything else. But if there was a second, and it would be a distant second, because honor means everything to me, I honor him. I give because it is, is, is my honor. I serve because it is my honor. I yield because it is my honor. I obey because it is my honor. All of that is out of honor. Nothing but if there is a second, and it would be like 30 miles due east of here or wherever, it would be because I don't want to give the devil a foothold. But my concern is not the devil. My concern is the honor of my father. That's my primary concern. My primary concern is not me. It's the honor of my father. I want to honor my father. That's period. Don't say you honor your father and you're disobedient. If I'm your father, where's my honor? Oh, this is going to get real cold in here right real quick. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. I'm not going to tickle you <laughs> and to pretend that the emperor has no clothes. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. When God is speaking to the church about their giving, and we're not doing an offering or anything like that, but it's interesting how he relates this. The, church, the, the Hebrew people were not honoring the Lord with their giving. And the Lord, does, he goes into that, but before he goes into that, he goes into honor. He said, if I am your father, where is my honor? That's the first thing he says. And they're like, where have we not honored you, Lord? Where have we not this, Lord? He said, you have not honored me and you have robbed me of tithes and offerings. Read it. He equates, he talks to them first about the dishonor. He was calling them to honor and they were living in disobedience. It's another story. I'll keep moving. You guys get anything out of this? Okay. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to show you some takedown moves. 
you know. I'm trying to get you to get, I'm trying to get you to learn some moves where the devil keeps pinning you, and I'm trying to get you to learn how to counter out of the move. I'm trying to show you how to get up off the mat, stop being a victim, and start being a victor. Stop living from defeat, and start manifesting the victory that is promised to you. We're promised victory. Why don't we have it? Well, there's a good reason. There's a good reason. This is a good reason. Do you have every victory in your, every area of your life? Nope. Nope. But there's not one giant that don't fall. They're all fallen. There's a few that still stand. There's a few that rise up from different places. But they're all going down. It's not a matter of it. It's a matter of when. It's inevitable. Why? Because I come from an undefeated line. And as long as I don't quit and I pursue the promises of my father, those giants will fall. That land will yield. It will yield. It's going to yield. It's going to yield. Everything my father has told me will come to pass, period. Well, again, that's another story. Back up one. I just wanted to finish something off that back page. Okay, so when the enemy operates, they operate through trespass, they inhabit, or they visit. So how's the demons operate? Anybody want to know this? Anyone want to know this? Anybody? No, I'm serious. I mean, well, I'm out of time. How about this side? Anybody? Okay. Are you here? Okay. We're good. All right. We have a unanimous. We have a unanimous. Okay. So the enemy operates through disobedience, but he also operates through trespass. So this is the fallen angels. This is who they are. They're fallen angels. They operate through visitation, trespass, and habitation. And so they trespass. Sometimes they just trespass for no particular reason at all. You're doing everything right. He's just trespassing. Well, evict him. Take your authority. Don't ask God to do anything he's given you the power to do. The devil, you see, no, the devil's doing something. Tell him to go. Demand the right. Let the Spirit of God tell you what spirit, if that spirit will not go, if it's there and there's a habitation. In other words, if you're praying against something and you know it's demonic and you're hitting a wall, say it with me. Then he has a right. That's right. If there's no movement, he has a right. We are the anointed of the highest. We have the blood-bought sons and daughters of the living God. We have the fullness of the authority of the kingdom of heaven within us and upon us. We are clothed with might and power. He cannot resist unless he has a right. If he has a right, because it's all legal, he has a legal right, then we demand to know what it is. What is his right? What right do you have? That's a habitation. When, you're, when, when the enemy ain't moving, I tell that people all the time, you lay hands on people, nothing happens. That's a right. It is impossible to lay hands on people and pact and release the anointing and nothing transpire. There's other dimensions of this, of course. I'm making it super simple, but the point, you get the point. If you're doing everything right and you're in obedience and, you're, and there, you still cannot manifest blessing over your life. If you're finance, say, Lord, Kevin, I tithe. I do all the things that God asked me to. I give generously, but I still can't make it past this point. I feel like I'm resisted. I feel like I'm hitting a wall. There's a right. The devil probably has a right of poverty over you. It's probably ancestral. Might be a covenant made. Might be a lie you believe. There's a right there somewhere. The enemy is claiming a right over you. It might be a right that you believe deep in your subconscious. You're not worthy. He claims that right. He says she believes she's not worthy. That's disobedience. You said she's worthy. She believes she's not. That's disobedience. I claim it. That's how he works. You think he works like you. He don't work like you. You think he plays nice. He doesn't play nice. I've had myriads of encounters with these things. I know exactly what they are. They do not play nice. They will take everything from you and not hesitate. They do not have empathy. They do not have compassion. They will destroy you. They will literally kill you. 
can, if they're allowed. If they can invoke the right of murder, they will invoke the right of murder. If they can invoke the right of disease, they will invoke the right of disease. They will do whatever they can, whenever they can, if you give them the right. And if he has the opportunity to invoke it. Most of the time, the Lord brackets his, his ability to claim the right, but he enforces it. He'll say, I have a right. And so there's only a limit to what God can allow. Most of the time, what God is doing, when there's the enemies manifesting something against you, and you, we think, oh, the devil's attacking me. The devil's attacking me. Oh. Wake up and rise up. God is allowing something to be manifested because he's trying to show you something. The devil isn't coming out of the weeds because he wants to show himself to you. Hey, I'm the devil. Here I am. Ooh. He hides. He doesn't want to show himself. He wants to keep it forever. He wants to torment you from behind the scenes forever. The Holy Spirit flushes him from the bush. Like the hound that he is. Just flushes that bird from the bush. So you, boom, 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 can shoot him out of the sky. But most of the time we go in cowards and we wallow in the ball. And, oh, Lord doesn't love me. I can't get healed. Lord doesn't love me. I can't get blessed. I can't ever get a job that pays more than that. Why don't you ask me why? Why don't you feel the resistance? Holy Spirit, what does that devil have on me? That's why we teach prophetic here. We teach a lot of things to bring you to certain points. Some of the stuff I'm talking to you about is way over a lot of your heads. It shouldn't be, but it is. Because you don't understand elementary things that contribute to that. what I'm telling you. You don't understand remedial math, and I'm giving you quantum mechanics, and you can't understand quantum mechanics because you don't understand remedial math. And the church doesn't even teach remedial math. We're, we're teaching primary colors. Blue and yellow make green pretty. And we go, look what I got. And the devil grabs it out of your hand and throws it in the garbage can. And then we're like, ah. He works through rights, trespasses, and, and, and rights and trespasses. He inhabits. If he's inhabiting and if he's visiting, if this same thing keeps coming back and forth and back and forth, the devil's visiting you with something that he has a right to, and then he goes on vacation for a while and then comes back and visits you again. He has a right. There's an open door. He cannot do, say it with me, this, this is extremely important. He cannot do anything. Come on. He cannot do anything to the believer but by right or inheritance. He can do nothing to you. A trespass is in, if any of you have ever had demonic encounters and you ever do any kind of warfare, most Christians don't even understand that. They can't discern what's happening to them at all. And if you understand that when, you're, when he's trespassing against you, it's an entirely different level of resistance than when he has a habitation and a right. When he has a habitation and a right, you are like, whoa. You are overwhelmed by the power that he's exerting against you. And you fit, he'll lie right back to you and say, you don't have authority. You're not, you're not loved. You, you, you went out and smoking and drinking and chewing last night, so your power's gone, the Holy Spirit's left you, and you believe it. What he won't tell you is he's got a right. Then you'll pray because he's trespassing, and he'll leave. And you'll go, ooh, he left. Yeah, because he was only trespassing. It's true. That's why, that's why he comes and he goes. He comes and he goes. You command him to leave, he leaves. He goes on vacation. Then he comes right back and visits again. You're like, why does this keep happening to me? Because he has a right. He has an open door. They work in groups. Next slide. They tend to work in groups. I'm not going to get into that. 
They emulate the structure and the authority of heaven. They carry rights from previous generations. Mm-hmm. They carry rights from previous generations. They visit the sins of the ancestor to the third and fourth generation. Your great-grandfather? Anybody know your great-grandfather? Do you know anybody from your great-grandfather, your great-grandmother? Do you know any of their family? Do you know anything that went on there? No, most of us don't. Most of us, the furthest back we can go is our grandfather. That's the most of us. That's as far as we can go. The devil can go back. He knows everything about you. And he keeps reenacting a curse. He skips three or four generations. It doesn't matter to him. He just has, he has four generations to keep it going. Because that's what the Bible tells him he can do. He can invoke a curse up to the fourth generation. So some of you are visiting curses. Not everything. Some of it's you. But some of it, if you have a lot of this going on with you. You know, the goal is to get rid of it. Okay? I, I, I do my best. And I feel like I'm in a pretty good category to, to live demon-free. Okay? The devil ravages people's lives because, you know, and we accept it as normal. Crazy becomes normal to us. And it's insane what we accept as normal. It's crazy what we accept as normal. He carries authority to three and four generations back. You, you don't know those generations. He does. All he's got to do is visit it. So maybe great-great-grandmother Betty had it, skips two generations, and you have it. And even the medical profession, what's your, well, my grandmother didn't have it, my, great, my great-grandmother didn't have it, my mother didn't have it. I don't know about my great-great-grandmother. Well, it's not in your family line. Well, it probably is because you just, you know. Or it's even worse. Sometimes when he's really brass, he just follows everything down the line. Every male has diabetes. Oh, that's normal, right? That's completely normal. Men die in the family wholesale. Just men prior to the age of 35 are dead. You, there's like 10 guys in the family. There's, you know, our family in probably the last 30 years, 10 men have died. That, that's normal, right? Is that, is that normal? No. But we accept it as normal. We don't ever look at this stuff and think this is crazy. We don't ever look at this stuff and say that's generational. We don't ever look at it and go, you know, no marriage in our family has made it to 20 years. I can't look back on any marriage that's been in my family line, even the peripheral family lines, none of the marriages in my family line have made it past 20 years. That's interesting. You know? How come there's so much alcoholism in the family? How come, you know, well, your father wasn't an alcoholic? Yeah, that's true. But Uncle Bill is, Uncle Jim is. Wasn't Grandpa an alcoholic? Yeah, it's in your family line. It's generational people. That's not genetic. It may be genetic. If it's genetic, it's infused with spirituality. Be clear. You don't think the devil can work through the DNA? You crazy? You don't think he can work through the cellular structure of the body? Are you crazy? And if he can, then without a doubt, the Holy Spirit can. And so I lean on the Holy Spirit, but we also need to be aware of this is how the enemy's operating. Jesus did it, it must be appropriated. He's given you the power. Sozo means saved, healed, and delivered. I believe it's in that order. <laughs> I believe you get saved. I believe you get healed from the wounds and the traumas of the past, and you get delivered from the power of the devil. That's what sozo means. The word salvation doesn't mean just saved. It's the Greek word sozo. It means saved, healed, and delivered. Lost art within the church. We don't believe in deliverance anymore. Oh, no, 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 no. Keep it safe for the whole family, Kevin. Keep, don't, you know, we want poster child churches. We want churches that make it on Harper's Bazaar and McCall's Magazine and Family Circle. That's what we want. That may be fine externally, but like it's the, the behind the scenes issues where the enemy's working. 
And that's a problem. And if you think Jesus is okay with that, he's not okay with it. You know why? Because he paid with blood for you to have victory. He paid with blood. And we tolerate things that we shouldn't tolerate. So anyway, this is my wheelhouse. I could talk about this all day long. Um, All can be delivered, but not all will. All can be free from this stuff, but not all will. All can be, but not all will. So I told uh, fire starters, all can speak in tongues, but not all will. All can manifest the power of the Spirit, but not all will. And it's not because God is withholding it. There's, there's other issues there. And the biggest issue is always the way that you think. Say this, Holy Spirit, change the way that I think. Renew me in the spirit of my mind. That's right. Be, transform me. Come on, transform me in the way that I think. May I think as you think. May I see as you see. May I understand as you understand. In Jesus' name. Come on. Alright, God loves you. We love you. Let me bless you. Thank you for listening. I pray it blesses you immensely. Let me give you just an action step. I feel like the Lord says, give me action steps. So like what you should do, go home and look at your life. Where's the breakdowns? Where's the things? Where's the patterns? Where's the areas? Look at where the breakdowns are. Look at where the patterns are. Right? Find those out. I, I tribu- look at them. Just look at them neutrally. Listen, just because you've got weaknesses, just because you've got brokenness, just because you've got messed up stuff, doesn't mean you're not worthy. Doesn't mean Jesus doesn't love you. We all got it. The honest people are the ones that go free. The people that aren't honest, they stay the same. <laughs> That's not good. Look at some areas of your life. Look at it and say, is this, and then begin to ask the Holy Spirit, look at it and look at it in a pattern. Is this a result of my disobedience? Is the enemy claiming something of disobedience over me? Or is this something outside the line of disobedience? Look at that. If it's disobedience, I'll give you the real simple answer to the disobedience. Just go, Lord, just say it with me. I'm going to say it with you. Ready? You're going to say it with me. Ready? Jesus, I repent and I renounce my disobedience whatever area, in this area. And then say this, in Jesus' name, I sever all inheritances associated with my disobedience in this area. And then we go this, then we say, Holy Spirit, I make covenant with you to be obedient in this area. So whatever the area is, and then you're, you're breaking the enemy's right. What he holds is even though you've been disobedient, just be, by becoming obedient doesn't change anything. Because you have to repent. That's right. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And then what? Cleanse us of the unrighteousness. He'll claim the disobedience of a lack of repentance. This is another lost art. We don't believe in repentance. We don't even use the word repentance in our churches. Repentance is an art form, man. Repentance is a lifestyle. It's like a B12 shot. I love to repent. Let's repent. Yes, Holy Spirit. Because repent is nothing more than releasing. It's not crying, weeping, lamenting. It's releasing and receiving. Ah, Amen. I know. We're praying. We're closing. It's over. It's done. Finished. It's happening. It's on. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. Amen. We have a prayer team available. If you need a word, got a word for you. Got some prayer for you. Whatever you need prayer for. In Jesus' name.